I just want to read a few verses. It's a very well-known passage, so uh, it's just to remind you. We're going to read from uh, verse 6 in uh, chapter 1. I'll explain it if we don't understand it all as we go through this morning. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, this is Naomi, by providing food for them, Naomi and his daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her, her two daughters-in-law, she had left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown kindness to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. And she said to them, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to come with me? I'm going to have, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. If you're wondering what the story means, well, I've entitled my thought this morning, To Kiss or To Cling. The story of Ruth is a wonderful story. It's a love story. Only four chapters in the Bible. It's one of those books you can just read. And uh, there's no real problem words in it. Uh, and you, you can really get the gist of the story quite quickly. It's a story of persistence and faith. There's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of difficulty. But somehow, Ruth, who's the central character, of course, from the name of the book, she found that God was in all things. And what we've been singing this morning has, has been just that. That even when we're in difficulty, even when things don't seem to be working out, even when there's confusion in the country, he's still in control. God is there and our faith is in him. The key to the success of Ruth is one decision that she made. And that's really what I want to centre our thoughts on this morning. It was either to kiss and say goodbye or to cling and to return in a new life with her mother-in-law. You see, when we become Christians, thank God that through our faith in Jesus Christ, our lives are transformed. 
You know, there's lovely verses, and the deck is not here this morning, but it's his favourite verse. He's always quoting it. Preachers are like that. They tend to repeat and repeat things that they really like. And that verse in Corinthians which says, the old has gone and the new has come. And I trust this morning that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and the work on the cross, and as a result of that, you understand a little of what that verse means, that he brings a new life to you. You know, in the first few months of your Christian life, everything is fresh and new. And if you're like I was and like others that I've spoken to, you know, it becomes a wonderful life and everything's great and, and so on. But uh, before long, you meet this challenge. The challenge of kissing goodbye or clinging. What do I mean? Well, perhaps friends who you have left start knocking on the door and saying, look, it's Christmas time. And you know what we did last Christmas? Come with us. Come and enjoy what we used to do. And there's a conflict in your heart. Not your friends particularly, but what they represent. And suddenly you have this conflict of, what do I do? Do I cling on to Jesus and the new life he's given me? Or do I kiss and say goodbye? It's a real challenge that faces us all at different times. You know, the, Jesus warns us that this will happen. Jesus said, you know, the enemy of our souls, the one who's not happy when we come to Jesus, his desire is to steal, to kill and to destroy. He wants to remove this new life that we have in him. You see, not all kisses speak of relationship and friendship and love. Remember Judas? He kissed Jesus to betray him. And it is possible to kiss and say goodbye. You know, it was in 1912 that uh, George Bernard wrote a very popular hymn. You'll know it very well. The Old Rugged Cross. And in the midst of that song, you have that one line that we all know. I will cling to the Old Rugged Cross. Bernard was a, an evangelist. He was preaching to the unconverted and seeing God transform lives. But he knew that there was more to it than just saying, yes, I'll follow you, Lord. There's a clinging on. There's a joining. Of course, the word cling usually implies desperation, doesn't it? No doubt there have been headlines. I haven't seen this particular one, but it could have been written this week by, by many sceptics who would say, the Prime Minister has clung on by her fingertips this week. As though, you know, the slightest movement and she's gone. But you know, the word cling doesn't actually mean that. In, in, the, in the dictionary, it actually says this, to adhere to and to stick to. I, I, I'm showing my age now, but many years ago, when adverts on the telly started, <laughs> this is a long time ago, but quite early on, whereas one or two of you can remember them, um, 
There was that advert where they, they pasted a person, his overalls, and stuck him to wallpaper. Can you remember? I mean, I'm sure that it was a fiddle. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't real. But it was getting over a message that that paper, wallpaper glue, was strong. And that's what it means to cling. To cling on means an inner strength and desire. Well, when we think of Ruth, we see that she stuck to her mother-in-law like glue. The first little thought that I want to bring to you is this. The choice has to be made. And of course, I better go and give you a bit of context. If you don't know your Bible or Ruth too well, you maybe wonder what on earth I'm talking about. Well, it will become clear. The story begins with a husband and wife, Israelites, living in Bethlehem with two sons. And the Bible says it was written, the story takes place in the time of Judges. Any that know your Bible, you know Judges is a time of yo-yo, as far as the people of God are concerned. They are believing God and having good leadership, and then because God meets their needs, they stop believing. And so you have this. We're serving God, we're not serving God. We're serving God, we're not serving And all the way through Judges, it's like that. And in the midst of that, it says in, our, in Ruth early on, that there's a famine. So we don't know, but say, at a time when God is not particularly strong in the hearts and lives of Israel, and there's a famine, this little family decide they're going to live in Moab. Moab is one of the countries that Israel at one time overcame. But they've been enemies, really, of Israel for many, many years. And so they go and live in Moab. After a time, Elimelech, who is the father or the husband, he dies. So Naomi now is left with two sons who are growing up. And so as a result of growing up, they get married. <laughs> and they marry Moabite girls. One's called Ophir and the other's called Ruth. But sadly, the two sons die. And so we pick the story up really with this strange threesome. <laughs> you have an Israelite mother-in-law and two daughters-in-law from a strange country. But they love each other and they support each other. But one day Naomi has that craving to go back home and the famine is over. And so she says to her two daughters-in-law, I'm going home. And realising the situation, two strangers in Israel looking for husbands, it wouldn't be easy. And so she said, you know, why don't you go back to your own home? You've been good to me, you've looked after me, there's no animosity, I love you both, but you go back home. And they both said, no, no, we'll come with you. But she says again to them, will you go home? 
What an offer. You can go back. You can return to your old life. Because it's going to be tough if you continue. You know, for Ofa, it was a simple decision. It was what we might call a foregone conclusion. She took one look at her life. She looked at what she once had, her homeland, and everything seemed to be going well. She looked at the future and didn't see a very good future. You see, in Israel, when her husband died, then the, the law asked them, told them, to marry someone else, if possible, within the same family, to keep the family name going. And Naomi said, look, I've got no more children. And if you wait for me to have some more children, you're going to be past it, not, not just me. You're not going to wait. And so Orpha could see there was no future in the natural. And so it was a no-brainer for her. She said, I'm sorry, Mom, but I'm going back home. And she kissed Naomi and said goodbye. On the other hand, Ruth was somewhat different. Inwardly, Naomi thought for Ruth's sake she should stay and go home. But she must have been absolutely thrilled when Ruth said, I'm not going home, I'm coming with you. She tried to persuade her otherwise. In fact, it says in the 18th verse, she realised that Ruth was determined. And I think that the words of verse 16 show us her determination. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. That choice wasn't very logical. It didn't seem to make sense, but it was determined. And not only was it a determined action on the part of Ruth, but it speaks volumes to us. You see, we can go forward 1,300 years or so, and Jesus is on a hillside. And on that hillside, he feeds thousands of people. 5,000 men, the Bible says. That's amazing. But more amazing, all he had was five loaves and two fish. And he fed the whole multitude, and there were basketfuls left over. Everyone was filled. Everyone was happy. And the next day, they returned. And Jesus realized why they returned. They were fascinated by the miracle. They wanted a free meal again. <laughs> and Jesus put them straight. You know, I love fellowship. And certainly down at Bilston where we are at the moment, almost after every meeting, not every meeting, but most meetings, you'll get a cake if you want one. There'll be a cup of tea if you want one. But I realise that if you come for the cake, you're coming for the wrong reason. That wasn't enough. And Jesus said to them, he said, you know, I'm the bread of life. You need to be consumed, consuming me if you like. You need your life to be 
taken up with eating of me, consuming my thoughts, digesting the things that I say to you, and you will have life. And this is what the Bible says. From that time, many of his followers turned back and no longer followed him. They kissed and said goodbye. He turned to his disciples and he said, are you going as well? And Peter gives those famous words, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, belonging to the family of God is a free choice. It's free will. God has given us, God hasn't created us as robots to follow him. We follow him by choice. We choose. We have decided, that song says, that we sometimes think to follow Jesus. It's been our decision. God wants us. God's made it possible through the cross for us to come. But it's our decision. And if we've made that choice because of the blessings he can give us, or the miracles that he will perform in our lives. That's the wrong reason. It's not enough. The Apostle Paul says this, the life I live in the body, that's my daily living, what I'm going to do tomorrow, the way I live my life, I live by faith in the Son of God, goes on to say, who loved me and gave himself for me. And I believe with all my heart, that every one of us has that daily choice to live for Jesus. The Bible puts it like this, to walk by faith, to trust him in the things that we do. So the two girls made their choice and Ruth chose to walk a walk of faith. The second little thought is this, that life, the life of faith that we're called to walk is not always easy. I don't know if you've found that. The idea of the moment you become a Christian, all your problems are over and all your difficulties gone. It's not quite like that, you know. I, I don't know if you ever turn the channel on and, and, and turn to got channels, especially those from America. Not all of them. Some of them have got some good points. I'm not knocking them. But, you know, to hear some of them talk, all you need to do is to buy their miracle water or to send them a constant gift week by week. And if you do that, all your debts will go, all your problems will disappear, your sicknesses will be healed, and you'll have a wonderful life, all because Jesus, has, well, because you've done what you've done and Jesus does the rest. That's the, that's the message that so often comes around from evangelists in America. Can I remind you of another evangelist? The Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 6, and in my Bible, it's headed up hardships. <laughs> Paul's hardships. You see, his experience as an evangelist. <laughs> now, Paul accomplished a great deal. Much of the New Testament after the Gospels is written by him. And... He had an impact upon our world. We are here this morning in some ways because of Paul as he came into Europe from the word of God. 
Yet he, he did a great deal for God. He was a great evangelist. But listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, I have suffered beatings, imprisonment, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger. And then he adds, yet always rejoicing. That somehow he realized that the Christian life is not always easy. But the wonderful thing is God is always there with us. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. So if we go back to our story, Naomi and Ruth, they experienced their new lives back in Bethlehem. It was barley harvest. And I think that must have been a great encouragement to Naomi. She had left, remember, because of a famine. So to see, you know, I was nearly late this morning following a, 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 tr um, a tractor and trailer and he chose to come my way, <laughs> all the way, even as far from, uh, from the common in uh, Penn, all the way across the, the streets, even, he even turned up Mowden Hill. I must admit I, I chickened out at that and went the other way because he was going so slow. But what a thrill for Naomi to see, obviously it wouldn't be a tractor in those days, but to see the cart with barley on it. That God was blessing her town again. But of course it wasn't going to be easy because they hadn't got anything. Let me encourage you, as Naomi was encouraged to seeing the barley harvest, if you're going through a difficulty this morning, and you go through it with God, difficulties do come to an end. God brings us through. And although she may have gone away in a famine and felt life was tough, now she could see the blessing of God before her. She wasn't experiencing it yet, but it was an encouragement to her, and I trust for you too. If you go back in the Old Testament to the Leviticus, <coughs> the law of God said... Remember, God gave the law to Moses. He said, you know, when strangers and foreigners are in your land and it's harvest time, you have a duty to help them. Not to particularly give them a freebie. Not to become a food bank for them, although I'm not against food banks. But when you have your harvest, make sure along the edges and on the corners of your field, you leave some food there. Leave some barley there. They've still got to work to get it, but these strangers and foreigners can come and have a right to pick behind the harvesters. And Ruth, they call it gleaning, and Ruth did just that. She went into the field, they'd got nothing else, and so she gleaned for barley. And she was looked after. So in effect, her walk of faith, God was providing for her. You know, it's a wonderful thing to know that when we walk the walk of faith, God is with us. And God will work things out for us as long as we trust him. Jesus said this, he said, when you're brought before magistrates or, or authorities for my sake, when people point the finger at you because you believe in me, don't worry. Don't worry how you're going to give an answer. Don't worry, don't argue. I'll give you the words to say, or my spirit will. Right? 
In Matthew's gospel, he said, look, don't worry what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat. Put your trust in me. Your father knows what you have need of. So the walk of faith is a walk with God with us. And Ruth and Naomi were finding that to be true. It says in chapter 2 and verse 4, just then, Boaz arrives. What a coincidence. But the fact is, God doesn't deal in coincidences. God was working things out for Ruth. She's still in the dark. She doesn't understand this. But three little facts that she was unaware of at the time. Boaz, he was the farmer, if you like. Secondly, Boaz was a distant relative. Thirdly, Boaz took a, a liking to Ruth. And she was ignorant of all these things. You know, the Bible says, all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That doesn't necessarily mean that all things are good. It doesn't mean that our lives are going to be without problems if we love God. No. It's saying all things will work for our good. Remember Joseph? It wasn't good that he was sold as a slave. It wasn't good that he was wrongly accused. It wasn't good that he was put in prison. It wasn't good that although he helped the butler and the baker, they forgot about him. But he did finally become the prime minister. And a few years later, when his own brothers were with him, he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for my good. And so even today, if you're going through a toughie, if you're going through an experience that you think, God, why am I going this way? And we've all experienced it at times. If we trust God, he will turn good out of that situation for our benefit because that's what he is seeking to do. Faith leaves our circumstances in God's hands. We trust him when we can't see the way forward. My final little thought is this. Clinging pays good dividends. Ruth was going to be blessed because she clung on to Jesus, uh, or clung on to uh, Naomi or to God. And for us, as we cling on to Jesus, stick to him, it will be for our benefit. For those who like a, an happy ending, well, of course, the story of Ruth is a glorious ending. <laughs> the two of them get married and everything works out. Everything is wonderful for them. But just think about it. From a determined choice, I am coming with you. Through difficult experiences onto a delightful conclusion. Ruth falls for Boaz. Boaz is a godly man. He does everything correctly and marries Ruth. Now there's one obstacle to their marriage. You see, Naomi owns land and it belonged to Elimelech, her husband. But now she's in need. She needs the money, if you like. 
But if she sells the land, depending on who buys it, really depends on whether they are part of the family or not. And the kingsman redeemer, as they called it, the person who would buy the land, there was someone closer to Naomi than, than Boaz. And so Boaz couldn't just buy the land because someone else had a right to it. And he goes to see the man and the man says, well, I've got land of my own. It'll complicate things if I buy that land. I'll let you buy it. And so Boaz buys the land and he clears the way. And can you see the way God's hand is in it all? Boaz, this relative, distant though he was, was now fulfilling the word of the Lord and it all came together in a wonderful way. Well, you may think the happy ending is the end of the story, but it's not. The writer of Ruth goes on to, in the last few verses of the book, and I've missed a lot out, I know that. Well, you wouldn't want me to speak all day, would you? Uh, but in the last few verses of the book, you have a genealogy. And that genealogy is very, very important. You see, Ruth has a child. Now, for Naomi, that in itself must have been such a glorious and wonderful experience. She who had gone through many bitter experiences was now holding a child she never expected to hold and rejoiced in God. But there's more to it than that. This child was called Obed. And Obed, as the genealogy tells us, became the father of Jesse. And Jesse became the father of King David. And if you go into the New Testament, that genealogy is picked up again and it finishes by saying that in the end, Jesus is born from that line. And as we think of Christmas, remember that Ruth had a part in Christmas. If Ruth had not clung on, what would have happened? God's purposes would not have been fulfilled. I want to be practical just in conclusion, if I can just take a couple of minutes, I'm almost through. You know, God has really blessed down at Bilston, as you know, and I'm not here to gloat in that because I've been around too long to realise, you know, church life can be up one minute and down the next. We understand all that. But it was three years ago that we finished a seven-year project. It started, I was involved in it, although we weren't members down there at the time, but it took seven years and we had this big building project on. And one part, the, the reason for it really was to have a community centre and uh, we're saying, you know, if we're going to spend all this money, let's make sure we increase the size of the church. And uh, various things were looked at and in the end, we came up with the scheme that doubled almost, not quite, but almost doubled our numbers up to over 200. And uh, 220, I think, is the official figure. Uh, <clears throat> and the amazing thing is, three years after we opened, we are filling up on a Sunday morning. It's, it's fantastic what God has done. It's partly due to Bilston becoming now 
sort of a, a refuge place from London. We're having lots of people coming up from London, families, some of whom are Christians, some of whom are in need, and consequently because of our activity, we draw them in that way. But, but God has blessed us wonderfully, and we praise God for that. And we pray constantly that he will continue to bring new folk in amongst us. But this is the thought that I want to bring to you. The bigger the church, the more common it becomes to have this principle of kissing goodbye or clinging. Really is. You know, over the last couple of years, we've seen people leave us. Not because of anything that the church has done. Not because they think we're doing it wrong. Some people have left, just a small group, to start another church. Well, you can cope with that. may not have been done the way we would want to do it, but you can cope with that. And they are serving the Lord on another part of Wolverhampton, the other side of town. But there are some, especially some of our young folk that we've had for years, have kissed and said goodbye. Girlfriends. Promotion. Somehow, the pull of this world has caught hold of them when you would never have dreamt. There's one young man that's gone this year that we have quite a lot to do at Christmas and he's always been, he's given his fortnight's holiday to serve the Lord at Christmas and he did that for 10 years or more. And then amazingly, we suddenly find that he's gone off with a girl who's anything but a Christian and he's gone her way. It hurts us. It's a heartache, but it's life. And I want to finish by saying this this morning, that it's not just in Bilston. We've already seen that Jesus experienced it. And the Apostle Paul experienced it. There's an example in the New Testament of Demas. A young man that Philemon declares he was a fellow worker. He was part of the team of Paul. We read in another passage in Colossians uh, that along with Dr. Luke, he sent greetings to the church in Colossae. He was part and parcel of the work. And then towards the end of the life of Paul, he writes from house arrest in Rome, Demon, De, sorry, Demas, because of his love for this present world, has deserted me. I'm sure there were a few tears on the page when that happened. No one wants to see anyone go away from the law. But it's the challenge. And I felt I'd got to finish by bringing this challenge this morning. When we are faced with the old life, when we are faced with the challenge of what things might have been if we hadn't have become a Christian, we have to make a choice. And that choice is kiss and say goodbye or to cling on and to know God in all his fullness. This morning in this church, I don't know very many of you, one or two I do, but not that many. But regardless of the years that you've been faithful to God, 
you and I face that challenge constantly. It's ever so easy to say, oh, I'll never go back. Sadly, I've had to deal with people who've said that after 30 years. We have to recognise it's a daily walk with Jesus. And that daily walk is a walk of faith. And as we, God will look after us. I understand all that side of things, but I'm talking to you this morning. We can be tempted. We can succumb. This is what Paul says in Corinthians, and I'm through. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Remember the story of Ruth. She clung on. And as a result, we enjoy the benefits of the cross today. And we say, thank you, Ruth, for bearing that child that down through the line will bring Jesus to our midst. And we say thank you to Jesus for coming. The Lord bless you.